Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. If you're using the Pew Bibles, that's on page, what we're going to be is on page 1125. Matthew chapter 12. I'm, I'm going to read verses 38 through 42. <clears throat> Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment in the gen in this, with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the re preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Let's pray together. Oh, dear Lord, please help us, we pray. We, help, we ask, dear God, that you would help us to see this one who is greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon. We pray that you help us to see this one who gave us a great sign. We pray that you will help us to see and to believe and to embrace that in this generation and in this day in which we live, that there would be a people and we would be such a people who take you at your word, who trust you with all of our heart, who have a strong, courageous faith, a joyful faith, confident faith, because we have a living Savior. Help us, we pray. Encourage us, we pray. Strengthen us even for the week ahead in our lives. Strengthen us and feed us from your word now, we ask. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Before we begin studying this text, I want you just to notice something in this text that we just read. Look at your eyes down through this text that we just read. I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that Jesus, the Son of God, believed that the Old Testament accounts were historically accurate. Jesus, the Son of God, believed that the Old Testament accounts were history, historical facts. They weren't fairy tales. They weren't just good moral stories, that these were real people, real people. He believed that there was a real historic Jonah and that he was swallowed by a fish, a big whale. He believed that the, the generation of Nineveh would rise up on, that, on the last day and will judge the generation that saw Jesus. He believed that this queen of the south is going to actually stand up one day and she is going to condemn the present generation of Jesus. And I want you to understand this because, number one, historical evidence is going to factor very large in what we're going to look at today. But number two, I want you to see this. Any true follower of Jesus is going to have Jesus' view of the Bible. You can't call yourself a follower of Jesus, as many people try to do today, especially in liberal churches. You can't call yourself a follower of Jesus and believe that the Old Testament scriptures, for instance, are a bunch of fairy tales, unhistorical. 
You can't call yourself a follower of Jesus because Jesus did not agree with you in that. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to follow him, and you're going to follow him in his understanding of the truth of the scriptures itself. Now, following that train of thought, let me ask you a question, uh, a rhetorical question, so that you can kind of think about it, and that is this. How do you know that Christianity is true? How do you know that Christianity is true? How do you know that the things that you believe are going to actually pan out? How do you know that your sins are forgiven? How do you know that you're going to have it? How do you know that the Bible's word? How do you know that Christianity is true? Now, oftentimes when people are challenged with that question, they will say some answer something like this. Well, I feel it's true. I just feel it's true. And that answer is simply not adequate. Because you could ask the same question to a Muslim and say, how do you know that Islam is true? He said, well, I feel it's true. You could say that to a Hindu. I feel it's true. That's not an adequate answer. Or sometimes you say, how do you know Christianity is true? And they say, I, well, I just believe. I just believe it. And, and it's kind of like what's called a leap of faith, just a leap into the dark. I just, I just decided to believe it, and I believe it. You know what? That's not an adequate answer either. A blind leap of faith? I have no reason to believe it, but I just believe it. What is that? But again, Muslims could say the same thing. Well, I just believe it's true. I don't know, I just believe. Hindus can say, I just believe it. I just believe it. Some people will say, especially in our generation, well, I believe Christianity is true because that's my personal truth. I just chose to make this my personal truth. It's not true for you, but it is true for me, and that's my personal truth. That is an absolutely lame thought. This relativistic truth is absolutely lame. Number one, that, that degrades any talk of truth at all. If truth is just something that I perceive to be true, but isn't necessarily true for you. Besides the fact that it just doesn't work. If I, if I believe that when I come to a traffic light, green means stop and red means go, and that's my truth, that's going to cause chaos. If I believe the earth is flat just because it's my truth, the earth is flat, well, one space shot, a, a picture from outer space is going to prove to me that that's wrong. So how do you know Christianity is true? Now, some people will say, because the Bible tells me so. The Bible says it. And there's something very real about that because the Bible is a divinely inspired book and the Bible does speak in that way. And the Bible is the word of God. There's no question about that. And yet a Muslim can say, I believe in, in Islam because the Quran says so, and I've read the Quran, and the Quran to me is the word of God. So what is the answer? If we were to ask Jesus, Jesus, what, what would be the answer that you should, would answer, that I should answer? What is the answer? How do I know that Christianity is true? Jesus' answer and the Bible's answer isn't, the Bible's answer is in itself. The Bible is the inspired word of God, and it gives us the historical act of truth. But how do you know Christianity is true? If you were to ask Jesus or you would have asked all of the apostles, they would have had one answer. It's because Jesus rose from the dead. That's the sign. The distinctive evidence is Jesus rose from the dead. Now, I'm going to show you that in this text that we have here before us. Now, remember, every text should be studied in its context. And in the context here, in the immediate context in Matthew 12, we have this controversy. And Jesus is actually 
pressing on, and you could say in a, in, 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 in a certain way, attacking or, or responding to the attacks of the Pharisees. And Jesus, for instance, has already dis discredited their view that he's, he's casting out demons by Satan. Jesus warned them against the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in look in verse 34, actually calls them a brood of vipers, sons of snakes. And Jesus, in verse 37, warns them that their words are, they're going to, in 36 and 37, that their words are going to be, they're going to be held accountable on their last day. So then the Pharisees ask this question. And it's generally assumed, and I assume, that this question is not asked gently, humbly, or nicely. It's asked in the context of this heated debate. Verse 38, then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. We want a sign. Now, in one sense, that's really weird, like that they actually said that. And what's really weird is, all you have to do is look at verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that both the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw. I mean, a sign's a sign. Like, that sure looks like a sign to me, you know. But no, we want a sign. They, he has already cleansed lepers. People with leprosy, he's touched them, and their skin is absolutely free from all of that bacteria-eating disease. Jesus has caused blind people to see. Jesus has already told the wind and the waves to stop, and they stopped at his command. Jesus has already raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. What, what more do you need? But these guys are pressing. We want a sign. We want a sign. And that's what Paul says in the scriptures as well. In 1 Corinthians 1.22, he says this, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. They want a sign, we preach Christ to them. Well, you know what? What the Pharisees are asking here isn't unusual. People do it still today. I've talked with people individually, and they'll say to me, you know, I ain't believing in Christianity until I see a miracle. I need to see a miracle. I need to see God do something. I need to see a miracle, and then if I see a miracle, then I'll believe it. I need a miracle. And if I see a sign, I'll believe in Christianity. You know what my response to them is? No, you won't. No, you won't. You won't believe. You know why? First of all, number one, God has done lots of signs already. Number one, he created everything. He created the world. He created everything. God has done that. And then look in history. God parted the Red Sea. God sent manna from heaven. God sent quail. God sent water out of a, out of a, out of a rock. God called, when Elijah called down fire, God burned up the altar there. God raised people from the dead. All of these signs you didn't see. You, you don't believe. You don't believe. Even though these signs are there. They're all written there in the scriptures, but you don't believe them. And what you're demanding now is that God personally do that for you again. Is God supposed to part the Red Sea? Is God supposed to create another world for you? Is God supposed to send manna down in your backyard in order for you to believe? And you say, I will only believe unless I see something. Unless I see, I will not believe. That's not possibly true. Did you see the bomb drop on Hiroshima? Do you believe it happened? Did you see? Did you see have you ever seen an electron? No. But you believe in electricity. How could you possibly talk like that? 
You see, and, and, and in fact, Jesus told a story of a rich man who, who, who had a poor man at his, at his front door, and, and he would never feed him. All they did was when they swept out the, the crumbs, he would eat those and, and fight the dogs for them. The poor man goes to heaven. The rich man goes to hell. And the rich man says, oh, no, I'm down here in hell. This is terrible. And he asks Abraham, because the rich man, Jesus tells the story, the, the poor man is, at, is with, at the table with Abraham. Abraham, send that, here's this rich guy, still so arrogant, he's bossing the poor guy around. Send that poor guy down. I got five brothers. Send him down to talk to my brothers. And listen to what Jesus tells in this parable. Jesus, using the word of Abraham, in Luke 16, it says this. And Abraham said to them, they have Moses and the prophets. That's the Old Testament. They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he, this is the rich man, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Then Jesus says, through the words of Abraham, but he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, if they don't read their Bible and believe it, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. You see, dear friends, a sign doesn't change people's hearts. A miracle doesn't change people's hearts. What it does is it confirms what is already in the heart. That's what it does. It reveals what is in the heart. And as the signs and miracles in the, new, in the Bible, those signs and miracles, the purpose of them was to confirm and authenticate the person whose message was being given. But you have to believe in the person. You have to understand the person. And the signs and the miracles authenticate it. But you see, all signs and miracles are open to interpretation, and that interpretation flows from the basis of where your heart is at. And we see this completely played out in our chapter. Again, look at verse 22. This man who is demon-possessed, mute, and blind, Jesus heals him. Now notice, there's a sign, there's a miracle. Now notice the interpretations. Verse 23, and all of the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? And so you see, the sign for them is having the, could this be Messiah? Is this authenticating this man as Messiah? But then look at verse 24. Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. You see, dear friends, if a miracle happens, people could say, oh, that's just, that's just a mirage. It's a sleight of hand. It's a trick. If a real miracle happens, do you know what secular people are going to say? People who are immersed in the Enlightenment and people who are immersed in secularism and naturalism, you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, I have no idea how that miracle happened, but I can tell you this. It only happened by naturalistic principles. It only happened by cause and effect because there's nothing else in this universe. There's no God. There's no spirits. There's no angel. There's no nothing. The only reality that there is is physical reality, and that is the only explanation. And we don't know the explanation now, but that's the explanation for it. And that's how they're going to treat miracles. Some people are going to say, like the, like the Pharisees said, oh, that was a counterfeit miracle. Satan was at work. And sometimes when miracles are performed or signs are performed, People believe for a minute they get the wow factor. And then when the wow factor wears off, they just simply go back. We see that in the Old Testament from the children of Israel. So after all of the signs, after all of the evidence, after lepers being healed, after blind men seeing, after a dead girl rising from the dead, after the wind and the waves listening to him and answering him, after all that has happened, these guys are saying, we want a sign. We want our own personal miracle. We want evidence. And Jesus says, no, no, no. If I give you a sign, all you will do is you will just dismiss it. for some... The last sign I gave you, you said the devil was at work. No, I'm not going to give you that. 
But I'm going to give you one sign, one sign. There will be one sign that I will give to everybody. And that's what he gives us in verse 39b. He says, no sign will be given to it. Well, I'm sorry, verse 38 9, he says this. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. We want a sign. We want a sign. Give us our own personal sign. That's evil. You're being evil. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, as soon as people see those two ver verses, you gotta, you got to deal with a couple issues right away, okay? The first issue, for those of you who are thinking Christians, you're sitting here saying, wait a minute, the math doesn't work out. Three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, three days and three nights in the, earth, in the belly of the earth. Jesus wasn't three days and three nights. Jesus was crucified on Friday. He was buried on Friday. He was in the grave Saturday, and he rose Sunday. That ain't three days and three nights. You're right, that ain't three days and three nights to Western... American believers. Why? Because we have this really weird thing in our culture. We count days starting at midnight. Now think about this. Days actually start at midnight. We actually start our day halfway through the night. Midnight, halfway through the night. We're dumb. We start our days at midnight, and the next day starts the next midnight. So what happens? A day starts halfway through the night, and the next day starts halfway through the night. And then we look at a text like this and say, nah, 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 the math doesn't work. You know what, dear friends? The ancients were much smarter than we were. And I believe in this they were. When did a day start? When did a day end? A day ended when the sun went down. That was the start of the next day. And so that night and then the next day was a day. So for Hebrew thinking, when the sun went down, that day ended, a new day began. That's why they would do all their preparation for the Sabbath, because they weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. And as soon as the sun went down, then they started their Sabbath services. They started their Sabbath worship, because the Sabbath had begun. And that Sabbath would go from that sundown to the next sundown. And they counted that a day. And whatever took place in that day took place in that day. Okay? And that's how they thought of it. So think of it this way. Thursday night, the sun goes down, and what, does, what happens? The Passover starts. And so they have the Passover meal. That's that day. The sun comes up the next day. Jesus is arrested. He's, he's crucified, and he's put in the grave. There's, that, there's a day and a night right there. And then Friday, the sun goes down. That, in, in their thing, we think it's still Friday. They think that Sunday, Saturday, the Sabbath has started. There's, there's that day and night. And then the sun goes down on Saturday, and they think Sunday has started. And there's that night, and then that, and, and then when the sun did come up on that day, then then it was it was uh, Jesus rose from the dead. And so for them, that it complete it made perfect sense what he's saying here. That so that's an issue that we have to deal with. And, and in Hebrew counting, it's three days and three nights. That's that's no problem. The other one's the bigger problem. A guy is actually swallowed by a fish, and he's vomited up. Now that's a problem for us, isn't it? We have a problem with that. And I didn't know, how do I address this? How do I address this? So what I did, and I want to thank Ben Beck for this, but he's in, in... I actually have an article that I would like you to read if you're interested in this. This article was written in 1927 in the Princeton Theological Journal, okay? Uh, in 1927. And what this article does, and it's on our church website is what I'm saying. If you would like to see this now, it's on our church website. It's entitled, The Sign of the jo Prophet Jonah and Its Modern Confirmations. And this Australian guy wrote an article. He's a pastor, but he did a lot of study. Could a person be swallowed by a whale? 
Is a whale big enough? If he went inside the belly of a whale, could he breathe oxygen? Could he live in that environment? And he did a study of that, and he shows you, first of all, he does the math. He does the math of what you could do. But the second thing, and this is why you've got to read the article. Please read the article. It's fascinating. Two men, historically, have actually been swallowed by whales and were in the whale as long as Jonah was and were cut out and lived. One of them was a whaler. Well, they were, well, they were both whalers, which, you know, I, it, think about it if you're going to go into that, kids. Think about this. Think about this for a little bit, okay? One of them was swallowed by a whale in the afternoon. He's just gone. The whale it boat, ate the boat, uh, hit the boat while they were trying to poke the whale. They were out there. Uh, to, he's swallowed by a whale. And they said, oh, well, John's gone. I don't know. He must have drowned. They dragged the whale back. They killed the whale. They dragged the whale back. But it's too late to start cutting it up. So they cut it up the next day. They cut the whale up the next day. And they get it. And then they go to bed. And then they wake up the next day. And they decide to pull the stomach out of the whale. So they grab on the stomach. And they pull the stomach out of the whale. And the stomach comes out of the whale and flops out. And somebody says, something's moving in there. And they cut it out. And there's John. And it's written in, it was written in the news. There's a newspaper article reporting it. John, and he said, I, I, I passed out because I was just so afraid. And he's going to describe. You'll read in this article. He'll describe what it was like. And he said, I, I didn't pass out from lack of oxygen. I passed out from like this. And the funny thing about the article is it says, yeah, John, once we cut him out of there and everything, he was a raving lunatic for two weeks. <laughs> By the third week, he was back at work. I said, man, them people are tougher than we are. He's back there working on a whaling ship after the third week. And his skin was actually uh, bleached because of the, 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 the whale. It's in the article. It's on the website anyway. Can a man be, be swallowed by a whale and live? Yes, it's actually happened, not just to Jonah. Okay, so back to, back to the story here. Uh, I'm, I'm taking Jesus at his word. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this. I am going to give you a sign. I am going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again from the dead. That is going to be the sign. It's going to be historical evidence. It's going to be evidence. And that is something you can take to the bank and you can trust. That is the sign. And then he says this to them. Look at verse 41. Now, you remember Jonah. Jonah, God says, go to Nineveh. He says, no. He goes the opposite way. A big storm comes. Jonah gets thrown in the water. Whale eats him. Whale spits him back up. And then Jonah goes to Nineveh and preaches, and Nineveh repents. And Jesus says this in verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. See, Jesus believes that those real men in Nineveh who did repent and they are going to rise up on Judgment Day and they're going to be there. That story of Jonah and the whale and Nineveh was all historically true. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Now notice this. And indeed a greater than Jonah is here. There's some, see, he's speaking about himself almost in the third person right now because he has to be careful in terms of how he reveals himself as Messiah in, in this generation because they, they want to kill him. Then he talks about the queen of the south. She's the queen of Sheba. Uh, she's listed in 1 Corinthians and Kings 10. She comes and he says, the queen of the south rose up in judgment and, for, and she will condemn this generation as well. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Then listen, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. A greater than Jonah here, a greater than Solomon here. And if you look in chapter 12 and look over to verse 6, he said about the Sabbath, he said this, and yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. What is he getting at? I have come. I am here. 
I am talking, you're not getting it, and you're going to be condemned on that final day by people who had lesser lights than I am. I'm greater than Jonah. I'm greater than Solomon. I'm greater than the temple. I am the Son of God. I am Messiah, and I have given you the sign. So let's apply this to ourselves. How do we know that Christianity is true? How do we know it's true? And the answer is, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It is an absolute historical fact. It is evidence. Christianity is not based on the fact that I feel like I'm a Christian. I feel like it's true. Christianity is not based on my feelings. Now, you can feel like it's true. I hope you do feel it's true. But it's not based on your feelings. It's not based on your own private truth. It's not based on some leap of faith. It is based on an absolute, true, historical fact and evidence on Thursday evening, Jesus was eating the Passover meal with his 12 disciples. He was arrested. He was put on trial on Friday. He was executed by professional executors. When they determined that he was dead by sticking a spear in his side and both coagulated blood and, and, and fluid came out, water, they took him down. He was placed in a tomb. A big stone was rolled over that tomb. It was sealed by the scribes and Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. A guard was posted around it. And the next day, uh, then, and then on Sunday, he rose from the dead. He was alive. He was seen. And by Sunday night, he is sitting in a room with his disciples eating again to prove to them that he was alive. This is historical evidence. It's true. And then these disciples who fled when he was arrested, who ran for the hills out of cowardice, only one creeping along, following from a distance, Peter, and then when he's confronted, cursed and swore, I never knew him. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know who that man is. Yeah, it so happens that I have a Galilean accent, but I don't know him. Never seen him in my life. Don't associate me with him. And after Jesus Christ rises from the dead, these men are fearless. They stand publicly in Jerusalem. And this is what Peter said. Acts 2, 32. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Take us now. Arrest us. Kill us. We don't care. We've seen him. He's alive. It's an absolute total change for us. It's a game changer. It changed our whole life and our whole reality. Jesus Christ is alive. We saw him. We ate with him. Alive never to die again. Alive to reign in heaven and on earth. And these men were arrested these men were put on trial. These men were beaten. These men were jailed. And dear friends, they had a lot to risk. Most all of them were married. They had children. They had lots to lose. And they were eventually all executed except for one of them. All executed except for one of them. And he was arrested and in his old age was sent out, uh, uh, banished from society and lived on a lonely island until he died. And you know what, dear friends? That's because they saw the living Jesus. And their life was transformed and changed. It was an absolute game changer for everything. And dear friends, we are not only called to believe. We are not only called to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We're actually commanded to believe it. 
by God. We're commanded to believe it because it's true. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is speaking to the Athen in, in Athens, and he says to the Athenians this, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked when, when you, you didn't know what God you were worshiping, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Hold that for a second. Put that one back. He commands all, he commands all men everywhere to repent, not based on a feeling, not based on a blind, blind leap of faith. He commands every human being, God now commands every single human being in the world to repent, to turn back to him. Next verse. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, Jesus, whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. This is the sign. This is the evidence. Now, what happens, dear friends, is this. This grips you. This man rose from the dead. This man's alive. Then all of a sudden, you start working back. Like, think, 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 of, the, think of the very people living in Jerusalem at the time. Wait, wait. That prophet from Galilee? We crucified him. They crucified him. They killed him. I saw him die. Nails, blood. It was gory. It was terrible. He's beaten to a pulp. No, no, no. That man's dead. That man's dead. No, he isn't. No, he isn't. They saw him. They talked to him. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. We saw him. We ate with him. We talked with him. He's alive. He's alive. And then what do you do at that point? You start going back, boom, boom. Wait a minute. He, he claimed he was greater than Jonah. He claimed he was greater than, than, than Solomon. He claimed he was greater than the temple. He claimed that he was the son of God. And you start realizing it's all true. He said he's the son of God who came down out of heaven to live among us. His relatives said he was born of a virgin. Angels appeared at his birth. He's, he healed. Remember, all he healed. He taught. He said that he would die upon the cross for our sins. And he said there was one sign he would rise again from the dead. And what happens? Dear friends, it's all true. It's all true. It all falls into place. It all makes sense. It's intellectually, historically true. It's evidentially true. It holds up in, the, in a courtroom. It's true. The evidence is all in favor. It's beyond any reasonable doubt. It is absolutely true. Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. That means what? My sins are forgiven. He died on the cross for me. I'm going to heaven. I have eternal life. It's true. Why? He grows from the dead. I'm adopted as a child of God. Why? He rose from the dead. I'm going to dwell and be with God. How do I know? He rose from the dead. It's true. Now, dear friends, this is not just for apologetics so that we can win people to an argument. We don't, we don't want to win people to an argument. We want to win people to Jesus. But, but I want to do something different with this in closing by way of application. 
I want this truth to do what it's supposed to do to us first. And what it's supposed to do to us first is to strengthen our faith, to deepen our faith, to help us to understand that we are standing on a solid rock of a resurrected Savior, to make us bold, to make us confident that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Well, what do I mean by that? How does that work out? Well, let me, let, let me give you some illustrations. Number one, doubt. Do you ever doubt? Have you ever been attacked by Satan to doubt? And Satan does this. That's his job, as it were. He comes to Eve and says, did God say that? He comes to Jesus when he's in the church. If you are the son of God, if you are, he's there to me. Do you ever doubt that, is there a God? Is Jesus the son of God? Is Christianity the only religion? Am I saved? Do I, do I, do, is any of this true? Satan will come and he'll attack you and he'll doubt. He'll, he'll, doubt you, he'll attack you with doubts. And you know what you have to do? You have to look him in the eye and say, wait a minute. Jesus rose from the dead. They saw it. They tried to stop it. They put a guard, for goodness sakes, and sealed the tomb. Jesus Christ, there's no other evidence. There's no other answer. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Somebody asked, somebody wrote me the other day. A young man wrote me the other day, and he said, why did Jesus' followers have to die? Doesn't that kind of sort of make Christianity sort of weird that, that, that Jesus' followers ought to die? And I said, no, absolutely not. In fact, it means the world to me that every one of those apostles, they were such brave, courageous men, but every one of those apostles put their life on the line because that makes the historical reality of what they claim to be true. You don't die for a lie. You don't die for a well-conceived uh, little religious story that you tell. You die when you say, I ate with him that night. I saw him. He's alive. We touched him. We saw that it was him. We saw the hole in his side. We saw the holes in his feet. It was him. That, and they were willing to risk everything. Dear friends, when you're doubting, when you're doubting, come back and say, no, no, wait a minute. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. How about when you're suffering? When you're suffering trials, you're suffering difficulties, you're suffering. Maybe, maybe a very severe trial comes upon you, very severe trial. Or maybe it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a trial that comes along you and doesn't seem to ever go away. It's long term. You're going to suffer with this for the rest of your life. Those kinds of things erode our faith. They make us feel like our faith may not be real. They make us feel like they challenge our faith. And dear friends, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to come back to the one sign. But Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. I can't walk away from that. I can't deny that. It's evidence. I can't deny that. Jesus rose from the dead. And so all of God's promises that he will never leave me, he will never forsake me, he will help me, it's true. Dear friends, there's going to come time in your life when you are going to be so afraid that any feelings of faith are going to be gone. You might be laying in a gurney in an emergency room. You might be laying on the side of the road in a car accident. What would be worse? Your loved one is laying in a gurney. Your child is laying on the side of the road. And at that point, dear friends, your faith just evaporates because the fear is so great. And it's at that moment we need to say, wait a minute. 
Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he will walk upon the earth one day. I know that my Redeemer lives. Dear friends, someday you're going to be on your deathbed. It's going to be scary. And at that point, the one sign should comfort you. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus lives and so shall I. Jesus lives and so shall I. Dear ones, that's what it should make. Listen to what Hannah read to us today. Paul says this. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And he has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. This man is risen from the dead. And I have to doubt against that evidence. My doubts go against that evidence. My fears go against that evidence. My trials go against that evidence. That, I have to deal with that evidence. I can't walk away from the fact that this man rose again from the dead. If somebody said, Todd, why don't you become a Muslim? Todd, why don't you become a Hindu? Todd, why don't you become a secularist? You say, I have to walk away then from the risen Christ. The one who's raised from the dead? Can't do that. Islam has nothing like that. Hinduism has nothing like that. And these poor, pathetic secularists, they have nothing but atoms colliding against each other. Oh, no, 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 no. He rose from the dead. I ain't going anywhere. I ain't going anywhere. And not only that, dear friends, it will make you brave. Paul writes this. Why do we stand, Hannah read this, why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you that I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. I, he says, if in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is, is, is it to me? What is Paul saying here? He says, I've risked my life every day. I face death every day. I'm ready to die every day. Why do I put my life in jeopardy every single day? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he is there, and he is risen from the dead. Dear friends, we have been praying. We have been praying and praying and praying for a man named Peter, and I want you to continue to pray for him. That's, we, we, some of us here, we keep talking about Myanmar. What are we talking about? What are we talking about? There's a terrible war going on there, a terrible war. And the, and the, and the, and the Burmese army are going in, and, they're, and if they think there's any suspects, they're shooting people. We just gotta, and we're getting daily briefings. We're getting daily briefings here in the church because our missionaries are there, and they're shooting people. And a family this way had three of their sons shot. Bam, bam, bam. And the, and, the, and the Burmese army took them out and brought them back two hours later. All of their organs gone. Cut open all their organs gone. Why? Well, those organs are being sold in China. Okay? And some people in America are going to get new liver and new kidneys from that. And number two is a warning. And this is the stuff that bombs are flying. People are dying. And our missionary Peter there, uh, not our missionary, but a man named Peter there, a pastor, he has an orphanage of 150 kids, and every day we get an email. And the first thing that comes across that email so far is this. Everybody's safe. Everybody's safe. I mean, there have been soldiers in there shooting. They're afraid that these soldiers are going to take the, these kids and 
put them in the army, the boys, and they're going to rape all the girls. And Peter has been helping to feed people who are in the jungle. He's been shot already, and he survived that. He probably hasn't had a full night's sleep since February. He is, he is hurting these children. He's, he's risking his life every single day. Why? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's going to go to heaven if he dies. He truly believes and knows that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Dear friends, that's the kind of courage we need to have. That's the kind of boldness by which we need to stride calmly through this world. Cancer, heart disease, terrorism, financial downfall, social upheaval. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall walk upon the earth one day, and I will live with him. Jesus reigns, Jesus lives, and so shall I. And that should fill us with faith, fill us with hope. So when you're doubting, look at the resurrected Christ. When you're fearful, look at the resurrected Christ. When you're wondering if, if, how you could possibly get this, look to the resurrected Christ. He's alive. He rose from the dead. The one sign is true. Come to him. Come to him. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you so much that in your grace and in your mercy, you did not leave us to ourselves. Thank you so much that you have been so good to us and you have given us your son. You have given us hope. And Lord Jesus, thank you that the grave couldn't hold you. Death couldn't hold you. You're greater than death. You're greater than the grave. And you're ours. You're our savior. Help us, we pray, to trust you, to believe in you, and to realize that this Christianity is not some man-made religion. It's not some moral philosophy. It's a belief in the very Son of God who came to earth, died, and rose again. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the hope. Thank you for the confidence. Thank you for the courage. Thank you for the purpose and meaning that you brought into our lives. Thank you for defeating death. Thank you for dying for us and rising for us as well. Thank you that it's all true. Every word that came out of your mouth is true. You are greater than Jonah. You're greater than Solomon. You're greater than the temple. You are the great and glorious son of God. We praise you. We love you. We lay ourselves at your feet right now saying, here we are. Use us for your glory and honor. And thank you that when we die, we will be immediately with you because your grave is empty. You rose from the dead. We praise you and thank you in your precious name. Amen.